Hi, welcome to the latest edition of the Rider Rumblings podcast. I'm Rob Vanstone, and uh, beside me, at least in terms of technology, is uh, our fine football writer, Murray McCormick. And uh, nothing new, Rough Riders lose again. <laughs> we did the entire September worth of podcasts without really, without the tenor of the conversation changing a lot. Um, what what can we discuss, Murr, that's new? Anything fresh? Anything exciting? <laughs> You know, I, me. I was thinking back because they're, they're playing Hamilton on Friday. Remember way back at the beginning of the season when they played Hamilton and went 30 to 13? Cody Fajardo looked pretty good. Wasn't a big crowd, but it was it was enough. We thought, boy, this is a team that's going to be, you know, we're going to be right about them, great cup bound and all that stuff. And got four and one. And now we're here going, huh, how did we get to where we were so much optimism at four and one to this out of doom and gloom, deservedly so, in in October? Like, I don't know, Rob. Like, you, we've been around a long time. I don't remember them going winless for a month. Oh, a long time. I remember nineteen ninety nine. They didn't win again okay. after Labor Day. Okay, well, so uh, that's why I have you here. Nineteen eighty five. They had a really encouraging start. They were four and three, and then uh, Winnipeg came here. And uh, Fran McDermott missed a tackle on Jeff Boyd, who scored like a 105-yard touchdown. Riders lost on Labor Day, and I don't think they won again until they beat Calgary on October 4th or something. And then they didn't win again after that. So they had an 0 for September in 85. They had one in 99. But expectations were different back then. I don't think anybody expected anything of the 99 team. The 85 team, I think expectations had risen a bit because they were four and three. They just won a game in Edmonton when Homer Jordan played the best game of his life, oh uh, except for when he was with Clemson. And, uh, yeah, but again, I think we were pretty inured back then to the Rough Riders not making the playoffs. So it wasn't terribly shocking when, when the elevator cable snapped on the 85 <laughs> team. But when you look at the expectations that were, accompanying this team and i think they were heightened as a as a result of games such as the one you cited the victory over hamilton early and the four and one start with the gray cup being here that's i think what makes this more crushing to to rider fans is when you compare the performance with the expectations it seems like that hamilton game was so long ago that the footage is probably in black and white (laughs) (laughs) just that's good but you know (laughs) When you talk about expectations, when you think about this Winnipeg game on uh, on Friday, they lost in Winnipeg. Were there any reasons why we should have had any expectations they should win? Because if you think about it, which position is the rider better than the Blue Bombers at? Can you name one? You th- maybe long long snapper. snapper? Long Jorgen, snapper. Jorgen Hughes is having an outstanding year. Isn't, um, that, isn't that kind? Of, but <laughs> the way it stacks up, like I was thinking about it afterwards, there's no position. That the Mario Elford. But maybe well, Janarian Grant's pretty good. But um yeah, if you look across the board, where are the Rough Riders superior to Winnipeg? Uh, the Rough Riders have a really good linebacking core. Yeah, but Winnipeg so is Adam Big Hill. Yeah. Um so yeah. Uh yet the I think the Rough Riders teased this a bit. They made a game of it. Yes. It was uh they were down seventeen to ten early in the third in early in the fourth quarter. They got down to the six yard line, second and four. And, well, as this team is wont to do, it just couldn't couldn't finish that task, and then it just mm-hmm. blew up on them. It, it seems to be when there's any sort of misfortune, oftentimes it just, again, it's the snapping of the elevator cable. 
And you think about it, Zach Kolaris completed 14 passes on Friday night, four for touchdowns. Like, really? You know, that's that's not a great day for Zach by any stretch of imagination, but the results are pretty darn good. So, you know, there's a, another spot where they're better at than the Riders right now. Well, Zach Kolaris has eight touchdown passes over the last four games against the Rough Riders. In his one year with the Rough one full year with the Rough Riders, he had nine. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe they should maybe he was let go. But, you know it's uh it uh yeah i'm I mean, teeing the them up, up for you today too aren't i you're just i know thank balls. you <laughs> uh like a true golf aficionado um yeah. <laughs> well baseball yeah i thought i thought cody by and large played pretty well yeah, on, so did on I. friday um, except for that the drop pass to ksb and the uh, uh drop the snap, snap or the and you know, some he says it's never happened before in his life. I can't remember seeing him happen. It looked like he looked up before the ball was in his hands. A pretty basic error. At least that's the way it looked like on TV. But it was still. I mean, that's what Craig big... Dickinson said happened. That he just yeah. took a glance and. But another thing Winnipeg did is the mis- the Riders made mistakes and then they scored touchdowns. Bang bang! Like two touchdowns within four plays and the game was over. You, know, you saw. And how that's good what Dennis... happens against Winnipeg. You yeah. you really have to play clean. And uh, if if you don't take advantage of your opportunities, they're going to bite you. And I, that's where I look at it and think, why didn't they go for it on third and four? If they yeah. miss, they've got the bombers on their six-yard line. Maybe they're punting from their end zone, and maybe they end up with a field goal. Anyway, maybe they end up, you know, conceding a safety, and then they're only one point behind what they what they were. And the the defense at that point in the game had actually been faring reasonably well. The Riders had only given yeah. up seventeen points, and they were in the third early in the fourth quarter. And so I don't, I didn't see the benefit of kicking the field goal in that situation. I think that the field goal was, although the Rough Riders got three points, that was almost a win for the Bombers. That was almost a tacit admission that they can't score. And how many times the Rough Riders gone for a third and three, third and two around midfield this year? It's not uncharacteristic of, of them to gamble on third and more than one. So when you're six yards away from the end zone, I don't see why you don't go for the touchdown there. That, the that's to me, the, 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 uh, the field, the field goal there was tantamount to surrender. It didn't even look like they discussed it. Like you do. I looked up and I'd be honest, it was happened so quickly. Oh, they're going to kick a field goal. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. The four points. I don't know if I get this, but okay. They're going to, they, they just went out and kicked the field goal and then tried to hope that things worked out right. And they didn't like, I know we're, we're a rider team with field goals. No, no, we're, we're, we're a rider podcast. We know that, but the bombers are good. Let's, you know, we're, we're looking at picking holes in every aspect of the riders game, except for saying on the other side of the field is that's one heck of a football team. I don't know how long they're going to keep this dynasty going sooner or later. They're going to have to deal with salary cap ramifications and stuff. It happens to every team, but right or, now or age, or age, but right now they're a great football team. And I don't think anybody argues with me that they're the best team in the league right now. Even their holes last year were special teams a little bit with place kicking. And they still, you know, they don't, still don't, I don't think they have a great returner, but they still have good enough that they get field position. The guy doesn't fumble the ball. So let's give Winnipeg a little credit. Can we do that? Can they still live in Saskatchewan if I give credit to Winnipeg for being a better football team than anybody in the league right now? Yeah, Maybe. but if you look at, if you look at, the last, well, 2018, Riders lose to Winnipeg in playoffs. 2019, Riders lose to Winnipeg in playoffs. 2020, 2021, more of the same. And with the Grey Cup here this year, this was supposed to be the year when they found a way to supplant Winnipeg as, as the 
top gun in the West Division or in the league. And, and instead, there's been a uh, marked regression. Yep. Uh, whereas the Bombers, I mean, they're one of the better teams we've seen in a long time. They've only lost two games. The CFL record for victories in a season is 16 set by Edmonton in 89. We know what happened to them. Yeah. Winnipeg could tie that record, and uh, which might be a good omen for the Rough Riders because they beat that 16-2 and two Edmonton team in 89. So yeah, I don't think they're going to play Winnipeg that team. It's great... one of the best ones we've, we've watched. I don't think they're going to see that Winnipeg team to the Great Cup. So I don't know if that'll happen. Enough said it'll happen there. Maybe Calgary can and whatnot, but it might be more exciting. I, I... Calgary's played them tough. Yeah, they have. They haven't, they haven't beaten Winnipeg, but they've played them tough. I think Calgary is a team to watch. No, Cody Fajardo mentioned last week that teams may not want to play the Rough Riders in the playoffs. If I was any team not wanting to play a team, I think I'd, Calgary would be the one I'd be the most wary of right now. Greek linebackers, Cameron Judge is playing like a, you know, the most valuable Canadian right now. And, you know, Jake Meyer is doing everything he can as a quarterback, even when, and then Kadri, the running back and stuff. They're just, they're just another good team. Like there's two great teams in the West and then there's the Riders and, the Lions with Nathan Mark are a great team. The Lions without Nathan Mark, they're just another third place. Well, it depends team. what day you're going to get, what Vernon Adams Jr. you're going to get, yeah. though. If he has a game where everything's clicking and he can have those games, then they're a, a remain a dangerous team. If he has the kind of game that led the Alouettes to deem him expendable, then there's really not a lot there that they can do. But when BC is sort of a wild card. Yeah. Speaking of wild cards, has absolutely nothing to do with this segue, but. I, I don't want to talk that, about the Mets choking. I think the offensive line <laughs> oh, okay. played better. Can I give them a little bit of credit? They didn't give up a sack. I don't think that the game. I'm trying, trying to keep, they didn't give up a sack. And either. barely a pressure. And barely a pressure. And they and they they kind of went three and four man rushes. You know, they didn't really, I didn't see a lot of blitzing and stuff like that. But, you know, maybe getting Vaughn back, getting Clark back, getting Furlan back. Maybe Cooper Richardson is the guy that's been hiding in the weeds all this time as a, as a left as a right tackle. Maybe he should Evan be Johnson. their lineman of the year. <laughs> that's like I lay in bed the other morning. I do that very often, trying to think of my Ryder Award winners, and boy, it's a tough list to come up with. Got to be Cooper Richardson. It's got to be yeah, the flawless Cooper Richardson. It probably is flawless up for now. That's crazy. It could be that way too, but. Their, their award winners this year, it's pretty slim starting award winners. And we'll, we'll get, it's not, we know that those, that doesn't, voting studies doesn't happen until October 23rd. But if you're ever laying around one day and you want to have some fun, just try to fun. Well, if you're, if you're saddest. Well, Sankey, <laughs> most outstanding player. Darnell Sankey, most uh, outstanding defensive player. Uh, mm -hmm. Top rookie is Frankie Hickson. Um, most outstanding Canadian is Ken Schaefer Baker. Uh, top special teams player is Mario Alford. And, the top one is top offensive lineman. Uh, maybe Evan Johnson, just because he's been there all year. No, I lean towards um, Logan Furlan. I go Logan Furlan. You know, you know, Furlan, Furlan has missed some time. Yeah. Uh, everybody else has missed some time. Uh, maybe Evan Johnson just gets it on the basis of attendance, but it's yeah. not an overwhelming endorsement. Yeah. I think Logan Fur Furlan is the other candidate there, but Cooper Richardson's been the best one. So, yeah. Rookie, yeah, yeah. And you got, there's, yeah. there's a very appsimation of the Rough Riders Award nominees. You made it sound a lot easier. It was harder than I was going through my list in my head because I kept going. But also, and let's another thing, and I don't know when we're, we're kind of they went into that game basically without a full time running back. Like Keenan LaFrance is a great special teams player who can bail you out a little bit on uh, on running the ball, but 
you know, they, they almost got through, and then he gets hurt. Like, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, but, but he gets hurt on a play where it's 31. Oh, yeah. And like, what a ridiculous call. Have they started have developing they the running play to a yeah. slow Canadian running back? Like, gee, it's amazing that play didn't work. I, I was, that was reminiscent. Remember Willie Jefferson scored that touchdown in the Banjo Bowl and took him forever to get across the goal line? That's a play. I reminisce of that play. It took forever for that play to get going. And everybody knew it was coming. And it was inches. And what kind of chance did LaFrance have to go against that defensive front? So that was, was the yeah, and you don't, and you don't have a you don't have your top tailback in there, or, or even or even your number two tailback, or probably even your your number three tailback because yeah. they they didn't, uh, you know, Sean Wilson wasn't available to them that game, and that probably would have been their tailback had he been healthy. So you're you're probably down to number four on your depth chart, a 31 year old, you know, Keenan LaFrance, like. Yeah. And then so he, you hand and him he the got ball hurt. and totally telegraphed the play. And what do you expect? And he got hurt. Got hurt on that yeah. play too. You know, so he's, I think what he's out absolutely brutal calls. Four games in a row, they've blown an and one situation, whether it's yeah. a second and one that uh, backfires on them or a third and one, they blew a third, third, third and inches. And again, those are the mistakes you can't make. You can get away with them against some other opponents, although the Riders' margin for error against anybody is pretty small right now. But against Winnipeg, you can't drop a snap. You can't miss a, a gimme pass. And you can't blow two-third and shorts. Yeah. And, Rob, uh, I know you don't like it when I put you on the spot for this, but I'm going to do it now. Oh one no. position, one position that has to perform more than admirably against the Tiger Cast for the Riders to win. Who has which position has to step up to win in uh, defensive line without a doubt? So much has been made of the offensive line and its deficiencies. Well, over the last, you know, in the in the last game, I think we saw that there's some hope there. It's a small sample size, but it was also evidence garnered against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So I think you can look at that and think at least temporarily the concerns about the Rough Riders offensive line have been allayed. But that defensive line has been awful. There's six ta- six sacks in the last six games as a team. Uh, this is a team that had more sacks than that in a game earlier this year. Uh, A.C. Leonard has not registered a sack in those last six games. Uh, Pete Robertson has not been the same player since returning from injury. They miss Anthony Lanier II. Um, mm. You know, Garrett Marino, say what you want about him, but he was a factor in the interior of the defensive line and uh, is no longer uh, there, uh, largely for the good. Um, and Charleston Hughes is invisible. So this defensive line where at the start of the year, they had the rotation going and quarterbacks were just being totally beleaguered as a result of the robust play of this defensive line. And now they've got all day. Uh, Dane Evans being as erratic as he is, uh, mm-hmm. you would think if, the, if this, uh, if the riders have a defensive line that can apply any pressure, pressure on him, we might see the Dane Evans that was so spectacular earlier in the year that he got benched. <laughs> but if he's, goes untouched and un, you know unbothered we might see the Dane, Dane Evans that threw five touchdown passes not so long ago that defensive line's been brutal and it needs to uh, and it affects the whole defense the secondary and its deficiencies are totally exposed when there's no pass rush they don't cover yeah. very well but without a pass rush who can cover very well that defensive line is 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 as big a deficiency now i think as the offensive line was perceived to be before the game in Winnipeg. And isn't it interesting? We're talking about the defense and you go back to way back to week one. That was the 
the strength of this team. And for the first half of the season, it was. And for some reason, it's all changed. And I think you've nailed it with the way the defensive line has played. It just hasn't been up to maybe the standard they've come close to establishing. But I really think it goes back to the Marino's breakdown and then that same game that Robertson got Robertson got hurt. That, goes, yeah, that blew up the whole season. Um, the, you know, that, that game blew up the Ryder season and it blew up the Red-Black season. Yeah. That's you know, it's, Paul I mean, it's amazing how, how much how much changed but um have, have you been i know and it's the receiving core hasn't exactly been overwhelming either i know they've been dealt with injuries no. and they're going like everyone's kind of but they've know, got you know. most of who they want now duke williams isn't back but duke williams just hasn't been there enough this season to really no. say well they're they're missing him because it that just that is just the norm and winnipeg is doing just fine thank you uh without greg ellingson for a considerable portion yeah. of the season they didn't they didn't have uh for the for the last yeah. game and and guess what zach Calero throws four more touchdown passes yeah. um that receiving core i don't understand for the life of me why kian schaefer baker isn't playing slot back that absolutely yeah. baffles me that so that they can play justin mckinnis there yeah. why? <laughs> why 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 I don't understand that. Whatever happened to the, the quick slant to, to Shaq Evans? When when the Riders were second and goal from the four, I thought, once upon a time, it's the quick slant to Evans. Nobody could stop that in 2019. Him and uh, him and Cody Fajardo were connected by a wire on that play. That was a trademark play that the two of them collaborated on so often and so successfully in 2019. They don't do that anymore. Where's the quick slant to Shaq Evans? That kind of play would just be gold for them, but they've stopped... They've stopped doing it. And uh, Rob, I got to tell you this. It's going to break your heart. We're a long way from 2019 in terms no, of tits, times and football teams. That Oh, absolutely. We're, we're, but we're many, many moons. Oh, but not the right way. <laughs> yeah, that way. That's a different, that's a different century. It seems like, but Shaq Evans is still there. Cody Fajardo was still there. Why aren't, whatever happened to that play? Because that was yeah. a bread and butter play for them in 2019. It was a reason, one of the reasons why both of them had breakout years in 2019. Where's the quick slant to, to Shaq Evans, especially with, with the, with the uh, difficulty this team has had protecting the passer. You want to get rid of the ball quickly. What happened to that play? I just, I just don't get it. I, it's not like their receiving core is extraordinarily talented, but I don't think they're using the resources that they have that well. And we thought they'd be talented. We thought with Duke. We thought, and we're going back. And I keep going back to game one. And I know there's a bigger picture in to there, but I go back to that game one with Duke and Shaq. Well, Swerve was, we were waiting for Swerve to come back, uh, Kyron Moore, KSB, and as it still was a wide receiver. And we thought they'd be. And, they get, and then yeah, they get Jacob Braden Prawl. Lenius. <laughs> Jacob Prawl. Then yeah. they get Braden Lenius back. So everything is built for this to take us back to that 19 in, in a sense. But it just hasn't been there, and even KSB, who we used to get like yards after the catch, or his, was his, his, defined his play, and he's not even doing that right now, getting the yards after the catch. So I kind of wonder, you know, something going on there. You no, know, maybe Cody's knee and his lack of ability. And I know that we watch it. I see improved mobility every game now. Like way back when, when he told us it's going to be better as the season progressed, we all kind of. Sure. No, like, it, it has been crazy. noticeably better. I know he's right that he has a knee injury now because he's the Cody Fajardo that's we're used to. Even the play before the uh, incompletion to Schaefer Baker, Cody had run for six yards after running for ten yards. 
So he'd gotten them down to the six yard line with his legs. Yeah. And uh, maybe they should have kept using them. (laughs) Well, that's you and I have been around football long enough that we always wonder the teams run the ball or do something consistently down into the red zone. And then they switch and go back to their other boring plays, which I never quite understand, but it seems to be a part of football. Like run, 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 run the ball with effectiveness and power and then get to the six yard line and try to complete passes and take the field goal. It's almost like they're scared of success. Like if it happens and they think, okay, the defense is going to, they're going to shut this down. So we better stop doing this before they wise up to it. Again, I'm old and I keep flashing back, but (laughs) I, I grew up watching Ron Lancaster. And if you've got a weakness, he will go after it until you show that you can stop it. And, uh, that's what, that's what's one of the things that's irked me about this team. They've had a few games where they've established the run early, and it's like, okay, now they've established the run. Now they think the run is coming, so we better not run the ball anymore because now they're going to try and stop it. No, just keep keep pounding it. And even if it doesn't work, you've set up play action and maybe bought yourself some time in the pocket that would not otherwise exist. So, Rob, we can't avoid Burr. this. What do you think? Must win, got to win, maybe win with – Backing, like in curling, say they can draw the button with some backing. Or just... It's not must win, because if they lose, they're still ahead of Hamilton. Now, mm-hmm. it becomes by one, quite a lot points. more challenging, yeah. uh, because the, the gap has been narrowed, and the Rough Riders' uh, remaining two games are against Calgary, and Hamilton has a game in hand against opposition that, by and large, isn't as formidable. But it's it doesn't end their season. In fact, it doesn't even eliminate their advantage over Hamilton. So it's not must win uh, in terms of the same imperative that would exist in the playoffs. It, it uh, But I almost think it's more must win from the standpoint just of the mood around here. I mean, yeah. they, but Cody they, keeps they, telling they, they win or go home. You know, yeah. Said, and, and I think he's kind of jumping the gun a little bit on that one. I think. Well, you know, maybe, you know, if they can't beat Hamilton, there's, probably not well, going to be Calgary. Hey, guess uh, what, but Rob, some they, things they, have to happen they after that. They you lost know, they, to the Edmonton they, Elks. Remember that? Remember they lost to yeah, the They Elks. lost to Edmonton, <laughs> and then there was this ugly bye week after. Now they <laughs> lose to Hamilton, and there's this ugly bye week oh. after. It just, it. Uh, I think the mood as much as anything around here needs brightening. It certainly does in this podcast. Because uh, <laughs> you're so gloomy, Mer. Yeah. Um, Keep trying like, to find positive uh, things, but it's hard. Yeah, it just, it, it, it'd be nice to have a new angle. Like, I just... I don't even, I can't even write anything right now that feels like something I haven't written two or three weeks ago because it, you just get into this, into this Groundhog Day mentality watching this football team where uh, there's the inevitable self-destruct on the field. There's a periodic self-destruct off the field. And I think Rider Nation, I think everybody needs a, a breather from this chronic gloom and doom and a victory of any sort would be a tonic right now. A victory that would essentially punch their ticket to the playoffs would certainly uh, provide a measure of calm that that could 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 exist for a couple of weeks leading up to their their following game. But they get. I Calgary. think the mood the mood needs to change as much yeah. as anything. Like we thought the last at first bye week it was ugly. It's, it's oh this this is this is even worse. Like and we listen to the call in shows and I I think they contribute some of the. Um, hype and some of the nervousness around the team by the, with that stuff. But boy, there is people calling for Craig's head, calling for Jeremy O'Day's head, calling for Craig Reynolds' head, 
get get another quarterback in there. Get you know, find offensive tackles. It's the same old stuff. But really, what what good does firing anybody right now do? I don't think it accomplishes anything. Just just let them finish out the season and decide and take a look at the overall picture of injuries and knuckleheadedness. Can you put that in someone's contract? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I some like of, that one. You know, I mean, like, for example, Ottawa fires Paul Lapolis. What good does that do at this stage of the season? There's this, why? Well, they What's want to the set, point? They, they want to kind of set a tone for next year, evaluate guys, because they, they still have a mathematical chance, slim best, of getting into the playoffs, so they want to get something going. And they get to bring in one of all the good-time guys in sports, and, and then Bob Dice can come in as a – interim head coach and he won the labor day game his first game as a head coach here when he took over from uh when he was named the interim head coach so but well, bob dice improved the rough Riders victory total in 2015 by infinity yeah. and that isn't resume material i don't know he didn't double it he didn't triple it he infinity did so i'm glad to see bob dice get another shot and i'm really yeah. sad to see paul lapolis lose his job because two two people i i think a lot of, a lot of people around the cfl really like but the, they they were really like. the timing whatsoever. They were left with no choice. Like I think he's got six wins in twenty two games. That record comes to somehow comes to my mind and go holy smokes, and winless at home. That's and that's a team that loaded up during the off season yeah. with a lot of. Free and we agents. thought they were going to uh, even like Derek Taylor from uh, Winnipeg. He he does the stats and he. I remember in twenty twenty one and twenty nine he kept slamming on the old Red Blacks. They didn't have a chance, and even he was kind of optimistic that. The uh, Red Blacks would have. They're a the one to... prediction I got right. They're last. Oh, I, well, the rest of my good. predictions are rather a mess. Candy has just returned from her walk. Here she is. Hello. Oh, oh that's <laughs> wonderful. Hello, my girl. Oh, you have anything to add to the podcast, Candy? <laughs> what a puppy. Uh, where were we? Um, uh, you know, it's interesting remember. because I mean, so much of the talk is swirling around what's going to happen with Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson. And granted, the, the the story is not yet complete on this season. There's a big yawn. Hey, are we are we boring you with this podcast? Um, but I will say this: if a decision is made to make changes, if Craig did Craig Reynolds opts to make that decision, he's already set the bar as far as how the changes should be made. Midway through the twenty fifth twenty fifteen season that we've referenced, they just I think the the consensus after that loss in Ottawa was that um, there would be a coaching change that Corey Chamberlain would not be not return. And Brendan Tamman was poised to fire Corey Chamberlain before Craig Reynolds decided that Brendan Tamman and Corey Chamberlain should go. Yeah. And that's a, that those are two people who a year and a half earlier, a season and a half earlier had, had brought a, a great cup victory to the Rough Riders at home. So Craig Reynolds has already, I think set the precedent of what should happen if he does, if, if there if there is to be change, it's the GM and the coach. It's not just the coach. And I think if you look at this regime, uh, not as accomplished as Tamman Chamberlain. So if Craig Reynolds decides that there should be should be changes, I think it starts with the GM as well. That's that's where he has set the bar. I'm not saying that needs to happen. I'm saying that's if it. there is change. That's the level at which it should begin because the precedent is set. I don't think you can absolve Jeremy O'Day when you didn't absolve Brendan Tamman, who was more accomplished as a general manager. So, so then are we left with starting all over again, like starting with a new GM and a new, you know, if they get rid of the head coach, a new coaching staff, and they're right back to, 
I guess, 2016. That well, after... if this season continues to continues to but go, are they, they're is, not I mean, as bad as they were in 15, though. This team isn't as bad as that one. Um, but you know, like, there weren't there weren't expectations of, to this degree in 2015 either. And I think that's that is the the difference with this season is that that uh, when you look at what people were hoping for and what people remember from 2013 and compare that to what we're seeing now, that's, I think, more of a disappointment than 2015 was. That, uh, I mean, 2015 was over the moment Darian Durant snapped his Achilles near halftime against Winnipeg. Nothing that really happened after that buoyed any expectation that that team was going to accomplish anything. Whereas this team started four and one and then the bottom fell out. So again, I'm not saying that people should lose their jobs. I am saying if, if Craig Reynolds decides that there needs to be change, he's already set the precedent as far mm-hmm. as how that change should be made and the, the degree to which change should be made. I don't think you can just say you're going to get rid of Craig Dickinson because I think what Craig Dickinson has had to do this year has been hampered by the fact that the general manager has not provided him with championship caliber talent injuries have played a role. Other issues have played a role, but they, they knew coming out of the uh, off out of the 2021 season that the offensive line needed to be fixed and it got worse. It's improved lately, but it's probably too late. Uh, they, they signed Natai Rogers. He was a monumental disappointment. They signed Jamal Campbell and he barely plays the major moves they made to refurbish the offensive line have not accomplish their goal or even close. So I don't think, I don't think it's even remotely fair to say they're just going to serve up the head coach as a scapegoat. I think that would be grossly unfair and unwarranted. Um, and I just don't think it would accomplish anything. And I don't, I'm not sure that, that relieving Jeremy O'Davis duties was, would accomplish anything. I think if you looked at their bodies of work and the fact that they got a year left on their contracts, there is a case for retention. If you, if you sit back and, and, and uh, sort of, ponder this with some perspective as opposed to make a decision that's fueled by frustration. But if there is a decision, I don't think it can just be the head coach. It's makes a very good point, sir. I somehow think if you get rid of the general manager, get rid of the head coach. I'm not 100% sure that Craig Reynolds gets caught up in all this. Some people have said, you've got to get rid of him too. And I don't think he gets caught up in this. He's got to get his opportunity to run the football team, make his moves and then see what happens later. Uh, I don't see a change being made at that level unless whatever answers he gives to the board, which has to be frustrated, uh, are wholly unsatisfactory. But you also have to look at the fact that Craig Reynolds navigated this team through a pandemic. And despite uh, all the financial challenges it has faced, you covered the annual general meeting and the probably the biggest success story of the season was their financial statement. And that's one of the areas for which Craig Reynolds is chiefly responsible. His stewardship through the pandemic has been terrific. Yeah. And, and the uh, Grey Cup sold out. And not that it wasn't going to sold sell out. We knew it was going to sell out eventually. And it'll be interesting to see if it's uh, what the weather's like and what the festival is like. But I know it's I'm kind of in a positive mood. I'm getting Aren't kind of though? excited about the Grey Cup. I think it's going to be cool having all the things, all the events at, at a real district which for the older people used to be called Everest Place, other than the uh, Spirit of Edmonton. Which used which, to be called the Exhibition Grounds. <laughs> yeah. Other than the Spirit of Edmonton, it'll be at the Connexus Arts Centre, which they do all the time as they have their own special little spot of it. But 
you know, I was reading about some of the things they've got going on, and it's all things about promoting the CFL, promoting the youth, promoting exclusive, uh, exploding diversity and all those ex- covering ex- exclusivity. Sorry about that. My tongue's a little slippy today. But don't you – I don't know, and it's not like me. You know, great cups we look at. It's it's a special week, but it's a lot of work and a lot of things on our behalf. But I, I think they've got – take they had enough chances to get it set up to get the Great Cup Festival with it being canceled back in 2020. But I'm, I'm kind of getting a little excited about the Great Cup. And, you know, you may remind me of this on Thursday night of the Great Cup Festival when I'm looking at you going, is this over yet? But it still kind of looks like it might be a lot of fun. Don't you think, Rob? No, it's it's always cool to have the Great Cup here. I mean, it's something that once upon a time, growing up in the city, I never thought that yeah. would be held in Regina. My mom and I used to go to the Great Cup every year, and it was always an Eastern flight. 1976, 1978, Toronto. 79, Montreal. 81, Montreal. 80, Toronto. It was always an Eastern flight. Mm-hmm. And we just assumed that if the Great Cup wasn't in Toronto or Montreal, that maybe one year we would go to uh, Vancouver. Uh, we never thought the Great Cup would would be in Regina. There was a Grey Cup in Calgary in 75, and that almost seemed to be a deterrent to have any more Grey Cups on the prairies because it was so cold yeah. uh, that day in, in at McMahon Stadium when the Eskim- Eskimos uh, trounced the Alouettes 9-8 to eight, that uh, <laughs> Ron Lancaster and George Reed were at the game. They went home at halftime. They went back to the hotel at halftime. They hailed a cab and were gone. It was that cold. Then it wasn't until 84, I believe, that the Grey Cup returned to, to Western Canada. So... Um, I know I grew up just thinking the Grey Cup was always somebody else's party, yeah. and even leading up to '95, there was a lot of skepticism as to whether I this wrote. Could be I can't off. tell you how many stories I don't mean I wrote about lack of hotel rooms that was huddled up in Saskatchewan. And I know my neighbors across the street had a party on the Saturday night with fan, people stayed in their houses, and there are people that are still good friends from that that great marketing plan to get over the idea there aren't enough hotel rooms. Now there are a lot of hotel rooms. We read about some gouging going on. We hear about some gouging going on. That's, you know, these people have been through two and a half years of without any opportunity to have any business, and they're trying to make some money back, which I don't fault them, but which which didn't happen. But that's the way of sports right now. When you get a big event, hotel rooms go up. Costs go. Well, I mean, I had to go to Kelowna on Labor Day weekend for my godson's wedding, and (laughs) a hotel price in Kelowna on Labor Day weekend is just really nice. <laughs> so well, I travel. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what happens on Grey Cup weekend will be any more painful than paying for a hotel in uh, Kelowna. I traveled every away game. I'm trying to find hotel rooms that are 400 bucks. It's it's a lot of work in these big cities to find hotel rooms that are 400. I'm not going to tell you more than that, but it's oh my goodness. And then especially then you get I into the weekends. <laughs> and then you get in the weekends and it's even more. And then. I have to admit, I'm going to say I flew without a mask on Saturday. I flew back home from uh, Winnipeg via Calgary to Regina. And it was my first flight since COVID without having to wear a mask. And it was, That's permissible now? I didn't even yes, know that was permissible yeah, they now. They started on October 1st. And uh, so it was a nice feeling. I would say there was probably on the flights four to five people still wearing masks. And then, no, it's fine. We've, I don't that's your that's entirely your decision i just think as long ears... as they weren't hijackers that's the thing <laughs> <laughs> i'm allowed to make those jokes but even though and and you know my ears didn't bother it was kind of nice to not have to wear a mask I, I had a bit of a cold so i wore a mask on the way out there and stuff you had to wear it then but you know maybe the rules are easing up a little bit and uh, maybe we're going to see that reflected in the cfl crowds down the stretch because the bombers i think are the only team that's had us other riders and the bombers are the only teams that have had a sellout this year 
if I had to guess off the top of my head, they had a sellout for Labor Day. And the Bombers had two sellouts back-to-back with the Riders and another one. So, Well, well Mass plus Murray is heading to Hamilton this weekend. What do you think is going to happen on uh, on Friday? I don't think. <laughs> That's a really good question. You're putting me on the spot, aren't you, Rob? Well, you I tried that earlier. You, you you tried to put me on the spot earlier with what area of the team needs to really I step up. So. I so think the Tiger, I'm leaning towards the Tiger Cats. I think the Tiger Cats are just, they're, they're not a great team, but they seem to come up with wins when they need one. Well, only four of them, but they've come up with them. And I think this team is just such disarray with so many things going on with the defensive line, as you mentioned, the defensive backfield and the receivers that I just think Hamilton's ready to win. And it's going to be an interesting three weeks down the, well, three weeks down the stretch. And I know that's probably going to generate a headline or two, but I don't know. I, I didn't think they could beat the Bombers either, and I was right. So I just felt something about this team right now that just uh, is missing that what reason push. Is, they don't really give us a lot of reason to expect a, no. a victory. Um, but I, I look at the way Cody's played since being benched. And uh, as many people... You know, many people are still looking for a lot of reasons to criticize Cody, and that can certainly be done after the game in Winnipeg because there were a couple of miscues there that were were very costly. But I look at how resilient he is, and I, I look at the way he has played for the better part of five games now. I just look at him as a guy who might be ready to to will a team to a victory. I I just I just think there's more there than than people are 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 giving him credit for, and. I think inevitably that's going to manifest itself in a victory. So I think they're going to win on Friday. And if that, if that doesn't destroy their chance of winning, nothing will. Because leading up to the home game against Edmonton, I wrote something to the effect of, ah, a game against Edmonton is such a tonic for the Rough Riders right in the middle of three out of four against Winnipeg. And we know how that turned out. So I might be totally destroying what is left of the season by saying this, but I don't, the, the way they play, the way they stuck with Winnipeg into the fourth quarter, there, uh, tough place to play. Uh, maybe the analogy is you're in the on deck circle, and you're swinging the heavy bat, and then when you show up at the plate, you're swinging a lighter bat, and you should arguably be able to, to mm-hmm. should arguably be able to help you hit the ball. Well, the, if the game in Winnipeg was the on deck circle, now the game in Hamilton is the at bat. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That's actually a very interesting way to look at it. I think, like, would I be surprised if they won? Probably not. I've been, because I've, I've been through, I haven't, you know, I've only been on the beat since 08. I haven't had a lot of losing seasons in my time with the Riders. You know, if you think about 11 and 15. And I think. And the, and the, the, the second, the final stretch of 2014. 2014, when, what's the uh, comment? 2016 was a, was a, it was a losing exercise. But that was a season you knew that because they had, they signed all the free agents. Chris Jones is here. And it was, I think they won five games or something like that. But it's mostly been a, a good team that can, you expect when they go into world games, they, you can expect them to win. Now, this is a little different now that. You know they've got to, they've got to be everything's got to be firing on all cylinders for them to win. They can't go in there and just have a good defensive game and win because if they don't get any scoring points, they can't win. So they can't. They've got to have every aspect of their game working for them to win, and they can't have like against Winnipeg. You can't have those mistakes that end up costing you four touch touchdowns on back to back plays. So they've got they've got issues. 
And uh, and I'd be honest, it's always kind of not, no, but nice. It's always nicer if they win going to the bye week. Makes things a whole no, lot easier, especially the last one. So nice. I've talked a bit about you know, the way it used to be under Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day. And if you look, if you get past the season opener against Hamilton in, in 2019, and then the loss in Ottawa, after that, the Rough Riders didn't lose to, and they didn't lose unless they were playing Winnipeg or Calgary. Yeah. When there were lesser teams for the rest of 2019 and throughout 2021, with the exception being that meaningless game in Hamilton at the end of, of 2021, the Rough Riders made the layups when they were there. And this team has stopped making the layups. They've lost to Edmonton. They've, they've done some things that are just unfathomable to cost themselves football games. Uh, circumstances have not worked in their favor with the stomach flu in Winnipeg and the, and the, and the COVID outbreak uh, that uh, affected the, the home game against Toronto. But they don't make the layups anymore. This game should be a layup for them. They're playing a 4-10 and 10 opponent with, a, with essentially a playoff berth, berth at stake or the high likelihood of securing a playoff berth at stake. So they've got to get back to the pattern that was well-established starting with week three of the uh, uh, O'Day-Dickinson regime, Canada Day against Toronto um, in, in 2019. They make the layups. And right now they've, they've stopped doing that. This game should be a layup if this team is to even be perceived as even remotely credible uh, during the most crucial part of the season. I think They've got to get back to what they once did. We're still going to look back on that. Edmonton I keep using loss. these basket. I keep, I've used a basketball yeah. analogy and I've used a baseball yeah. analogy in the last five minutes. That's true. So, I still think, anybody? I still think people have still gotten over the fact they lost to the Elks. And I really kind of figured everyone thought that was a layup, a slam dunk. And the fact they lost them and the way they lost them goes, hmm, that really kind of knocked this team back. But, you know, you listen to the call-in shows after the game, so do I. The negativity out there is just, and, and rightfully so, like there, there's some pretty astute fans breaking this stuff down. I don't think any of the riders can just sort of say, yeah, they're just fans. What do they know? But these fans know stuff. They've, they've been watching football a long time and they know what it takes to watch a game play and a game win. And I've been impressed with some of their comments and things that, and along those lines that, you know, to listen to them, the rider fans are pretty the, well the, the call-in shows have been terrific i mean we just <laughs> well they always are rob lucky. when they're losing you know that i just i just enjoy them in general if you, if you look at jamie nye and and belton johnson daryl davis on, on cjme ckom mm -hmm. and daniela ponticelli west cates and the professor don hewitt on ckrm uh i mean it's uh if you, if you like to keep a game swirling around in your head you can do that well into the evening yeah. Uh, with or even the early morning with those phone-in shows. And the, granted, I mean, some of the callers are just from planets that astronomers have not yet <laughs> uh, uh, identified. But what's got to be alarming, and I think there's a common thread between the two shows, is you're getting an increasing number of people phoning in saying, I've had season tickets since um, 1937, yeah. and I'm not renewing next year if this keeps up. and Further to our earlier discussion, I think any decisions that are made during the off season might have as much to do with the saleability of whatever regime they plan to install. And when you hear people say, and we have to, 
we have to presume, I suppose, that this is genuine, that they've had season tickets for a long time and they're not renewing. And, and I've talked to 10 people and they're, none of them are going to renew their season ticket, etc. If that comes to fruition uh, and the sheer saleability of the, of, the, of the regime is an issue, that might influence the equation as much, if not more, than what happens or doesn't happen on the field. And so when I hear that on the post-game phone-in shows and people are saying... I've invested this much money. I've traveled from Prince Albert for every game since, you know, John Diefenbaker was my MP, yeah. but I'm not going to do it anymore. That is something they also have to factor into the equation or might have to factor into the equation. You know, like I, I'm a sports fan, but if I love going to football games and just love the atmosphere and they do have a, I don't know if I give up on my season tickets just because they're having a down season. I don't know. I just like to go. I sat through you know, two, two and 14 like years. I, I didn't give up the season tickets. We sat my mom paid for them, mind you. <laughs> we sat through the nineties. Like we've been through some of the crap that can go through the nineties and stuff. And we go, it's still even you know, the, the game day product is still fun. You still look and see people having a good time out there. So, you know, if the team has to win for you to keep your season tickets, that's, I guess that's your decision, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to one day when I'm not going to a football game and working it and seeing what it's like to sit in the stands. And cause I've uh, got a seat, I've got an obstructed view seat. It's $28 a game. I don't even really know where it is. I just bought it because I felt I had season tickets for 40 years and this is a bit tangential, but I had to let them go reluctantly simply because we ended up with a lot of household expenses that we weren't ex anticipating. And, and suddenly we were like, 10, 20, $30,000 uh, looking for that kind of money that we didn't really uh, have a rainy day fund set aside for. So at that point we looked at discretionary expenses and one of them was the rough rider season tickets. So I let them go with some regret. And, but this year I decided, okay, problem solved. Um, I think a, a, a ticket gives me more of a license to criticize than press credentials do. So I bought a lonely season ticket uh, obstructed view, uh, top row of one of the one of the sections. I don't even know where it is, and uh, I would just love to sit in it one day. I'd like to I'd like to find out how the view is obstructed. Yeah. There's games that they played this year where you would hope that the view is obstructed, but um, I I just buy it because I, I think it's I just it's a kind of a symbolic gesture, and I, I like being able to say I've got that season ticket, and uh, and I also think it. Uh, it gives me more oomph behind whatever I say or write about this team than than uh, simply getting media accreditation. But you know, I'm of the mentality who you know I'll go regardless. But yeah. I don't think it's my generation. I don't think it's your generation that they have to be concerned with as far as yeah. enticing them to come to the games. Well, especially if you look at the Blue Bombers game and you watch that game on TV, and it looks like lots of empty seats. See, eh? like you just cook, it just seems. But the concourses are packed because they're all there for the social aspect. The Rum Hut, which I think is one of the coolest parts of any CFL team. And it's just jammed with people. And they're, they're there socializing with a football game on in the background, which I think happens at the Ryder games not as much now as this year. But So that, that's kind of one of the aspects is there may be empty seats, but there are people in the, there are people in those seats there in the stands having a blast and doing all the concourse stuff. So. Maybe that's a sign of the way the game is and you talk about. For you and I, like, we go, well, when I go, I watch. I sit in the first quarter and I'm there, you know, to go to the bathroom and in between quarters and I'm watching the game the whole time. Other people, it's more of a social time and and good for them. Whatever reason you go to the game, just go to the game, I guess. But 
the things it is a changing a changing attitude towards people how people watch sports now and especially you and I can both sit at home well not with Ryder games or we can and watch games on our huge TVs from our huge recliners with cold drinks within reach distance you can have your dog on your lap I can have one of my cats if it ever wants anything to do with me and uh, <laughs> <laughs> they don't like to hang around with me you've too alienated much. the cat well the cat they just how do you having... alienate a cat I don't know. They just seem to like Marion's lap more than mine, I guess. is Well, Murdoch, that's the other one. Will come well, I like Marion more than I like you too, so I guess I can understand. The, <laughs> but I haven't seen you feline. sitting in her lap yet, so maybe anyway. Rob, I think we're getting close, aren't we? I think we better end this one. Uh, we start with, with on the tangent about my cats. <laughs> we we're talking about cats, so we've definitely strayed. That's an attempt at humor. I'm going to read the little thingy at the end here. Considering we're just uh, purring along. We'll, Curry <laughs> McCormick. If you enjoy the podcast, and if so, thank you. Please leave a review and a five-star rating, as long as it's not out of 100. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you or your cat get your podcasts. <laughs> if you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at, what's my email address? rvanstoneofpostmedia.com, and we'll read it on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Vanstone. Or Murray at Murray LP. LP. So there for a long time. That is Maybe. one of the longest podcasts we've ever done. Um, no, it's not, almost I almost right up there with you and Jeff Fairholm last week. I think we surpassed him. Forty-eight minutes. minutes. Yeah, yes. uh, so we surpassed him. Anyway, there, I, lots of football on this weekend. I know it's my. I know we're leaving, but my tease my wife. I says I'm getting a break from watching football on Sunday to watch more football on Sunday. So. Unfortunately, the Steelers lost, which is well. We got to get forward. At least you're not cheering for the for the Broncos, who get a chance to save the Indianapolis Colts season on Thursday. That's true. <laughs> for a very despondent Murray McCormick and his cats, if they'll have anything to do with him, I'm Rob Vanstone on behalf of Candy. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we will do this next week. Murray's off next week, so we will have a special guest. So. Stay tuned for that announcement. It will uh, set social media ablaze. For Murray, I'm Rob. Take care and have a great day.